This is Steve Thompson. Today we're going to read Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, The baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. This is an interesting little passage, and I'll be honest, I'm not really sure what Luke is doing here. So let's just make some observations and speculate together, if you don't mind. Luke just happens to mention that while Apollos is in Corinth, Paul headed to Ephesus. I don't know why he mentions this, but it seems like there's something significant that the original leaders would have picked up on. Normally, the story would have started right off with Paul headed into the synagogue in that area, but we don't get to that until verse 8. Instead, Luke introduces uh, this new city excursion with this little nugget. And the only thing that comes to mind for me is that in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he has to spend a chunk of time telling the Corinthian believers to get over their petty little dispute about who they followed or who played a bigger role in their lives, Paul or Apollos. It was actually dividing their faith family. It was basically this petty little argument that boiled down to uh, what I hear as one of those uh, playground arguments. Oh yeah? Well, my spiritual dad could beat up your spiritual dad. Then Paul said, Who cares who shared the message with you? Who cares who invested more into you? The point is Jesus. You're all followers of Jesus, your Lord and Savior. So I don't know if this, if Luke here is making mention that Apollos spent some quality time in Corinth not too long after Paul had just spent a good deal of time there. And I actually wonder if maybe Apollos was a little immature at this point and may have been divisive. It's a possibility, but it's speculation. We just don't know. But what Paul then runs into at Ephesus is basically the same thing that Priscilla and Aquila discover in Apollos. There's an incomplete understanding of who Jesus is and the availability of Jesus' spirit to fuel their lives. And it's a total game changer. Of course, it's an important step to have experienced the baptism of John. John called God's people to repent of their selfish ways and return to God. And he very specifically pointed out that God was about to inaugurate his kingdom through the anointed one, the Messiah. So both Apollos and these Ephesian believers had done this and in fact embraced Jesus as their Messiah. But they hadn't been baptized as followers of Jesus, a step declaring their full embrace of God's rule and reign as it was now breaking into space and time. God was beginning 
to take back his creation, and he invites all of us to join in with him. So along with that decision and declaration comes the power, the fuel, the enabling power to live a new kind of life. As Paul says it in Romans chapter 8, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has both freed you from the power of sin that leads to death and therefore leads us in life. And I just added that part. You really need to go directly to chapter 8 of Romans and read the whole chapter to get a feel for what Paul describes as the spirit-fueled life and what that looks like. There's one more observation I wanted to make about this passage, and I believe that what takes place here with baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit are not prescriptive, but they are fairly normative. Okay, what do I mean by that? There are plenty of people today who debate that there's a proper way of doing things in order to make certain things happen. In other words, you have to be baptized, let's say, in the name of Jesus, or if you're thinking Trinitarian, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or you have to be fully submerged. You can't just be sprinkled. You can't just um, do baptism any old way. And you should do as an adult. And then when you've been baptized in that particular manner, then you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, then and only then. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the evidence that the Holy Spirit has filled you is with these so-called ecstatic gifts, like speaking in tongues and prophesying. So we've had this tendency to put all of this methodology into what's going on and taking place and I don't think that's there. Like just reading through the narrative of Acts should be enough to help us realize that things actually don't happen the same way every time. For example, we have no record of the apostles actually being baptized. We don't know if they did or if they didn't. Yet they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus told them to not go anywhere but to wait. Um, and the very words that he used in Acts chapter 1 Um, Once while he was eating with them, he commanded them, Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happened. Then in Acts chapter 8, there were some people in Samaria who believed. Philip baptized them. And then Peter and John show up a little while later. They pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it happens. We don't know what it looked like, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, Ananias prays over Paul to receive the Holy Spirit. The scales fall from his eyes so that he can see again. And then he gets up and was baptized. So it's a completely different order there. And again, when he received the Holy Spirit, it doesn't say really what that looked like other than the scales falling from his eyes. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his family have the Holy Spirit fall on them right while Peter is in the middle of sharing the good news with them. Now, for them, they all began to speak in tongues, so it was very evident that the Spirit was doing something there. But then they got baptized after that. Here, these believers in Ephesus, they're baptized first, and then Paul 
lays hands on them, they receive the Holy Spirit, and they speak in tongues and prophesy. So again, there's not a prescriptive pattern here. Luke isn't interested in telling us you must do A and then B in order to accomplish C. That's just not it. But he is describing something that would be fairly normative. Disciples of Jesus get baptized as a sign of their submission to Jesus in his kingdom. It's what we do. And when we've made that commitment, the power of Jesus' spirit is available to us and dwells in us. And often we specifically ask for the Holy Spirit to enter our lives. There are very physical and obvious manifestations that can happen when when the Holy Spirit does come, and it can be like tongues and prophecy. Those things aren't necessary. That would be prescriptive, and they don't necessarily happen every time, but they are normal. This does happen. And so we can ask for the Holy Spirit. We can ask for people to pray with us that the Holy Spirit would fill us. And you can read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 to see what that looks like more about asking not only for the Holy Spirit, but for his gifts um, that he brings and that he showers on us all. He gives us each very special gifts and experiences of him. But what I feel like maybe today is what we're supposed to do with this. Um, with this speculation and, and observation of what's going on here. For sure, if you haven't been baptized, but you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then that's your next step. Email us right now, today, and let us know that's what you'd like to do. We'll make it happen. You can wait until August when we do it out in the summer, but we can do it even sooner than that. If you have been baptized, then right now, let's ask together that the Spirit would fill us. Maybe this is for the first time. Maybe you've never asked for the Holy Spirit to fill you and empower you. Um, Let's do that together. And if you have, then be assured that you have been filled with the Spirit. But we can ask for more of the Spirit. We can ask to be filled again and afresh and for strength and power for today. So, I'm feeling like maybe that's what we should do. So this is super simple, Father God. This isn't a magical formula. You never intended it to be. What you did intend is for all of us to experience the life-transforming power of Jesus and Jesus' Spirit in our lives. So we ask, come Holy Spirit. Right now, wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, would you completely fill us with your power and with your presence? And I would even ask, God, would you even pour out your gifts, whether they're supernatural gifts or whether they might look very maybe plain and normal, almost talent-like. But God, you've told us to ask for them, and so we ask, would you pour out both the fruit and the gifts of your Spirit into our lives? We want to be open for what you want to do right now 
in and through us. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Amen.